A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the White Lotus Podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to your Italian dream vacation. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our coverage of the penultimate episode of White Lotus Season 2, Episode 6, Abductions. In the past episodes, we've covered some light research topics. But for this episode, we're going to review two key scenes from past episodes to help us going into Episode 7. Then we'll move into a scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode, followed by our Deadpool conversations, a report from our chief Italian correspondent, Marta, and listener feedback. A reminder, you can send us feedback to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those emails in the next episode. We love to hear your hot takes, thoughts, and predictions. If you want to talk White Lotus with us sooner, join us over at the Bald Move Discord. Links in the show notes and at baldmove.com. We've got a well-moderated server and a dedicated channel set up for the White Lotus. Each episode is siloed, so you can join the conversation at any time without fear of spoilers. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and you would like to support us directly, check us out on patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you can get ad-free versions and early access and more. Wow, that cheap? (laughs) Yes, that cheap. At the end of the episode today, we've got our Patreon shoutouts, along with program notes for what's coming up on the Bald Move Network, as well as our December Lorehounds schedule. Of course, you can get our ad-supported podcast on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice. Lastly, we're going to be talking about some mature and sensitive topics on this show, and we'll try to do so respectfully. Any feedback is always appreciated. Just send it to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com. Okay, David. Let's take a quick trip through the hotel lobby before we start our recap. John, can I just say that I I love your giant pupils? Maybe (laughs) I could offer you a little pick-me-up. It's fresh. It's very fresh. We don't even record with cameras on, so now I know you're full (laughs) of shit. I was was searching for a a comedic line to pull from the episode (laughs) when I was doing my recap notes today, and there were several, but uh, that one just tickled me. I was having a hard time getting the dialogue this episode because... It was really hard to see the subtitles over my pile of internet points that just keeps getting higher. <laughs> oh, 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 is this going to be a gloat fest on this podcast you, today? You know how I be, you know, I just, yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> I just have to take a minute and just say the gay mafia is real and you should fear it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to quibble slightly though. Is it, 
the mafia is gay or is it the gays hanging out with the mafia? No, the mafia is gay and it's here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> They're ready to party. I'm doubling down. It's the gay mafia. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, he did foreshadow the whole thing with the island and the certain prominent family and stuff. So yeah. And we've got the Godfather references. Yeah. It's, it's all there. The shirt now. <laughs> I feel like Mike White was trolling us with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. So, John, uh, what else do you have uh, to say about the episode? I had a great time with it. It was so yeah. fun. It was absurd in every way I want the White Lotus to be. Just every character's arc just ramps up this episode. Uh, the, the stakes seem to be getting higher. I just can't wait to see how Mike pulls this season together. I can't believe that there's only one episode left because it feels like we have three episodes left of content. Yeah, right? Uh, it's packed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I incredible. I laughed. I cried. I had great times. David, what did you think? I, I think emotionally I was there with you as well. I felt so many emotions in this episode. I felt like the gut punch of betrayal. I felt like the exuberance of partying. I was laughing out loud at some of the, the hilarious stuff that went on in the episode. I, I, I felt sad at, at times, especially for um, Valentina. Like the, I was just like, I didn't know a episode of television could transport me over such a broad landscape of so many hills and valleys and, and so many different experiences. It was really uh, a super enjoyable episode of television. And, and I never felt like I was burned out or stressed out or it was heavy or gosh, I can't wait. I never caught myself looking at my phone or anything like that. I was riveted the entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the pacing of this episode was incredible. So good. It was yeah. it was just a masterclass in in directing and editing in cinematography. Just really incredible. Uh, I know early this season you were a little cold on this season compared Very, to last yeah, season. Yeah. And now a little bit. I feel like mm. you're more enthusiastic now. Would you say you're more enthusiastic now than you were in season one? I'm way more enthusiastic um, than season one for sure, and then at the beginning. And uh, I owe you a slight debt because you were like, "We got to cover the show," and I was like, "Meh, okay, you know, I'll be into it." You know, you can kind of take the lead. And now I'm like, "This is great television, really, really, really great television." The debt has already been paid with Andor, so don't worry about it. It's uh, true. We, we're even. <laughs> Let's just move on, and we'll cover some more good shows. Abductions. So we have plural abductions in this episode. I wanted to just call out to that. I also wanted to call out something that I thought was really interesting, which is how many fantasies were created or dashed in this episode, you know, with the Italian homecoming, with the white knight syndrome, with um, the, the person you're dating doesn't was like really charming and fun and now is kind of a drunken sloppy mess. Um, you know, there's just like all these setups for these really amazing uh, fantasies that then, you know, didn't really resolve the way that you wanted them to resolve. And I think that, you know, Mike White is playing with, again, some really potent um, concepts here. And I'm, I, I'm, I really enjoyed that aspect about this uh, episode. Yeah, yeah. So who are the abductees? Who do you think got abducted this episode? I, I mean, Lucia is obvious, but who else? Well, Lucia staged an abduction. 
Right. I think uh, Portia certainly is slightly abducted. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Albie's being <laughs> abducted. Well, I don't know. How do we define abduction? Like being taken <laughs> by, you know, force uh, against, your, against your will. By, wait, by who? Like his parents or, uh, sorry, by his dad or by uh, Lucia? Because I don't think that's an abduction. That's more of a con. Yeah. No, that's yeah. not an abduction. Yeah, 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 that's a con. Shut it so. down. <laughs> Are there any known tropes for pineapples in television history? I mean, it's a swinger thing. Because um, Harper was eating a pineapple and then uh, Quentin offers Tanya and Portia pineapple mimosas. It was also the pineapple knife was the weapon in season one, the murder weapon. Oh, was it? Oh, good call. Interesting. So we'll see where that goes, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it would be a little cheap to tell us who dies right there. Right, right. Well, he's playing and he was playing with the oranges in the last episode. And right. Yeah. There's so many things going on. Maybe he's just like, I'm going to troll all of you and I'm going to say everybody he's dies and then like <laughs> randos die that you don't even know. <laughs> It's possible. Um, and uh, kind of on that note, I do have uh, some interesting research that I uncovered today. New shit has come to light. Whoa. About the yacht. The yacht. Uh, Tell me more. Yeah, we'll cover. Can we do that in the Deadpool? Okay, let's do it in the Deadpool. All right. David, you wanted to go over two different scenes from previous episodes to set the stage here for our recap. So hit me with the first one. Okay. Uh, and before I do that, I just wanted to make a quick shout out. Um, just as I was getting ready to come down to podcast, um, I saw that on NPR Fresh Air, Terry Gross has an interview with Mike White, um, specifically at this breakpoint of episode six and, and episode seven. So uh, I started to listen to it, some really interesting stuff that was Mike's talking about, about his influences, uh -huh. uh, about his ideas around this uh, season of, of television. As a Gen X person and, and him, like I felt very seen in some of the things that he was talking about with The Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Laverne and Shirley, some great television, early television references. And so um, just a, a quick highlight on that. If you listen to that, um, that radio, I mean, Terry Gross is like, you know, a queen of, of interviewing uh, on the radios for years. So really interesting uh, interview that is out today. Very cool. I got to check that out. Yeah, for sure. But back to our, our research topics at hand. So I thought it would be interesting to go back to actually get the verbiage of what Rocco says when Valentina shows up at the beginning of episode one, when they've discovered that, you know, some people have died after Daphne finds a body in the water. And so these are Rocco's specific lines, not, and I've, I've extracted Valentina's uh, uh, dialogue. So this is just what Rocco says. One of the guests has drowned. You don't get it. Salvatore says other bodies have been found. Other guests have been killed. I don't know a few. So in those in-between lines, you know, Valentina is like trying to ask you know, some more questions. So we specifically have other bodies and other guests have been killed. So, you know, like... It's, it's an interesting construction of, of how it was written, but like, it's not randos, it's just not some people in the Ionian Sea floating around, but he's specifically saying multiple guests. Right, right. Well, I mean, it could be guests we don't know. I, I think in the end, it will be a mix of people we know and people we don't. Right. 
because they'll 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 pump up the body count a little bit, but we will have at least right. it'll be cheap if we don't have at least a couple people we know. That's right. And I've got some uh, some more theories on that when we get to the Deadpool stuff that are directly related to the yacht research here. All right. Very cool. All right. So the other scene that you wanted me to look into was just a recap of the translation of the um, fortune teller from earlier in the season. Yep. With Tanya. Yep. So this is a translation from Reddit, and I don't have the original comment because I copy pasted it a long time ago, but here we go. Sorry, person on Reddit who translated. The first line says, the crazy woman will bring you to suicide. This is the truth. Then it says, it's dangerous. The crazy man has escaped slash exited slash come out. Please, I beg you to let me help you. Here are other words that this person picked up when she was rambling and touching the cards. His thighs. This is the beautiful one. This is the devil. And then somebody points obsessively at the stars, the stars, and the thighs. So what are what are happening with the stars and the thighs? Well, the beautiful man makes me think of uh, Mr. Arm Candy. Uh, Niccolo. Niccolo. He's got a gun. Niccolo. Just, oh, you got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. And then we also have uh, Marta in Italy. She had her translation, which is very similar. The fool has appeared, she says, uh-huh. which can be translated as the madman. Please seek help is what she said there. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, there's a lot of characters surrounding Tanya right now, but I certainly, who's the madman? Who's the, who's the, who's the, uh, who's the fool? I think that Quentin would be the fool. You think so? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, oh, we're all fun here. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the him or Jack, I guess, because Jack is like the, I play all day. Right. But yeah, I mean, I could see either one of them or maybe just both. Who's the madman? I guess you could say Quentin, depending on what he does next episode, but also Greg. Madness will lead you to suicide. Like, what's the madness here? Who's, who's madness? Is she really even talking about Tanya right. specifically? No, I think Portia more. I think that uh, Portia was in the room. We got to remember. Right. But who's going mad? Uh, Tanya's not going mad and Portia's not going mad. Ethan's going mad. Right. Hmm. Maybe she's just getting vibes of the, the whole hotel. That's what I'm, I'm starting to wonder. That's what I'm starting to wonder. Or it could just be a fortune teller telling her random things. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always need to be meaningful. But you know what? In this show, it probably is at least a little bit meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just don't know how it applies yet. I feel like on a rewatch, we're going to go back and say, oh. <laughs> right, exactly. There's all the clues, right? Yeah, here they are spilled out all over on the floor. Yeah, us. that's going to be for our season wrap podcast. We're going to go back. I, I at least want to watch this scene. Be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Definitely, and then definitely Rocco, like definitely the the body scene on the right. beach to see what happened yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is going to be a great show on rewatch, which uh, it's always good to see. I would, I think I would sooner rewatch season two than I would rewatch season one. Yeah. Season one, I felt really uncomfortable at multiple points, especially with the whole sort of ABC after school special thing of like, hey, let's stage a robbery and then it goes bad. And you just know it's going to go bad. 
and it does. And and just some of the stuff that he was pressing on was was really um, heavy. That whole season was very heavy yeah. compared to this season. is is darker in many ways, but it's more. He he weaves more um, humor and lightness into the into the overall storyline. I agree. I think he struck the tone a little truer on this season. What, mm-hmm. which is yeah. just it needs to have this kind of dark humor that is dancing on a pit of darkness it's it's really it's really just like a strange show and i love it uh and and i I, we're getting season three so i'm really excited to see where they go next oh was it uh was i didn't see that was it confirmed oh you didn't know it got renewed oh yeah no i've been head down with so many different things it got renewed yeah so awesome we're we're coming back somewhere else we don't know yet well if he's as quick as he was with this one uh you know he's not gonna be he's not gonna take too long hopefully right and we'll be back i hope yeah. Uh, all things being equal, we should be here. All right. Very cool. David, you ready to run into the episode? Yes. Sounds good. Um, a little note on formatting. In the past uh, episodes, it was easier to follow the various characters and sort of break down by that. But as I was going through on this episode, for whatever reason, however they edit it, it was just much easier to do a linear uh, scene breakdown. So we're just going to go scene after scene rather than following the individual characters. All right. Sounds good. Why don't you start with the first scene? All right. We open with a little bit of early morning action with Albi and Lucia with the uh, waves crashing. <laughs> so it seems to be their relationship is, uh, right, you know, uh, uh, healthy and active. It sure is. Active is definitely a word to describe it. I, I just think it's funny to see uh, Albie fully embracing his the, the physical aspects of his life, whereas he was really giving his dad and his grandfather a, a hard time earlier on. Well, he thinks it's okay as long as he doesn't pay for the sex worker. <laughs> That's right, right. I he's mean, pay. all right. In defense of Albie, Albie does not have any attachments. Like, he's not cheating on somebody. He's not ruining True. his family. Yes. He's just having fun with someone who appears to him to like him genuinely and be there for him and not necessarily for money at this point. Right. It is a very different thing for Dominic to say, well, I'm married, but I'm on vacation, so I'm going to go fuck around. Right, right. So there's my defense of Albie. Yeah, 100%. And he's a, a very different, he's, he's starting to become a different person in some ways, right? He's more confident and sure of himself. He's less uh, sort of a kid in a, in a man's body, I guess is one way to describe that. I want to say something about Albie because there's been some weird discourse about Albie on the internet. Please. He is not a bad guy. He is not an incel, nice guy, you know, r slash nice guy kind of dude. I think that Mike White is actually playing with our prejudices where, uh-huh. you know, the, the in the first episode... I'm guilty of this, too. He's going, oh, you know, I like wounded birds and girls don't want a nice guy and like red flag after red flag in the speech. But then when you actually look at his actions, he was really mature about the Porsche breakup. Mm -hmm. He has, you know, he does have a white knight complex, but he hasn't tried to do anything icky with Lucia, in my opinion. Right. Uh, He's been principled with his dad. And I think that generally, other than the performative nature his intentions and so far his actions have been in the right place. And I think that we are so ready to jump down his throat because he said <laughs> that thing right away. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got the quote, nice guy in Valentina and nobody even cares. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that I'm going to defend Albie now until he does something bad. Okay. Which he might not. I'm just going to stan Albie because he's fine. He's literally fine. And I think Mike White is trying to say like, hey, maybe it's important what you do instead of like jumping to conclusions about somebody. Right. I think maybe for me, one of the things that set me off on Albie a little bit at the beginning was the performative nature of his modern maleness, you know, if I if I can put it that way. Right. Um, his finger wagging a little bit, his right. his surety. Well, I'm just fresh out of college and I, you know, I've got all this stuff that I compare it about, you know, being a respectful male and not toxic and all those kind of things. But right. it wasn't lived. It was it was uh yeah, just performative. Uh and and now that he's He's living and feeling and, and sort of stretching himself a little bit, I think. And he's conducting himself, as you say, with decorum and, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and not abusing people in the process. He's, he's starting to really come into his own. You know, somebody can be annoying, cringe, whatever word you want to use and not be a bad person. Right. And I think Albie is that. Like, he's right. just kind of annoying. Right. And he's, he's a got a lot to learn on how to interact with people and how to carry himself with, you know, a, a, a grace that sort of knows how to navigate tough situations without using a political speech. Right. At the same time, like, that doesn't make him a bad dude. It just means he's got to grow up a little bit. Whereas I think Valentina is not annoying, but so, so far has been shown to create a hostile work environment when she doesn't get what she wants and when she's sexually rejected. Right. So, you know, she's she's moving somebody. She's she literally retaliated against someone for their job because she thought that that guy was getting in his in her way to the woman that she wanted, which is literally creating a hostile work environment. Isn't that an interesting compare and contrast kind of situation there because Valentina has the benefit of of age and wisdom, but yet is as we learn in this episode, uh unexperienced. Uh, and and just a, a, a newbie, so she's got the full driver's license, right? She's an adult. She's a you know a hotel manager, very important property, and she's got all this power and authority and experience and knowledge. But yet in this one area, she's woefully deficient and, right. and unable to manage her own emotional self. Whereas Albie, young man coming into his own maybe he was a little bit out over his skis but now he's like he's he's got he's found a balance and and he is uh sexually coming into his own but doesn't have the life experience right so yeah, it's an interesting compare contrast kind of situation there yeah yeah and again i think mike white uses these situations to sort of say like see See what you yes. did there? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See what you did in episode two where you jumped down Albie's throat? Check well, yourself. He's, he's actually not a bad guy. Right. All right. Let's move on to the next scene. All right. So we have two back-to-back -back scenes of uh, the foursomes waking up. We've got Ethan and Harper, and they argue about their relationship. And then Daphne and Cameron start their day in a bit of a different fashion. And then we see Ethan head off for a morning hour run. Man, this was... First of all, some of the most realistic dialogue I've ever heard. Uh-huh. But it was also incredibly depressing, just like Harper says. Right. I mean, everybody knows this story, right? Is like Oh yeah. Two oh, people yeah. love each other. Been two there. people feel comfortable with each other. Yep. But they're just not attracted to each other anymore. Like the like logistically, 
they want to be together and and with their feelings, I guess they want to be together. But are they attracted to each other? Is that spark there? Can it come back? And just the way that it goes and the way that it kind of shuts down with her saying that's depressing and him kind of missing the point entirely with oh my god it's depressing that i love you completely misses the point (laughs) oh my god she was so exasperated too right and she didn't even continue because she was just so frustrated Mm -hmm. yeah she was just like yeah whatevs i'm gonna take a shower you go incredible acting job by both people Mm. incredible dialogue writing by mike white yeah How, how does mike white know how to write all these scenes i just i have no idea does he like have an insane life? You know, one of the things too, I listened to when I just started listening to the Fresh Air interview, the, this second season was going to be an entirely different theme until he got to the hotel here and then he completely pivoted and then wrote this. So I have no idea how this was able to spring forth, the, the nuance and the complexity and, and like that situation with Ethan and, and Harper the fact that there's something has died in their relationship and they still have a love and affection for each other, but neither of them are brave enough to go, you know what, this isn't working and I don't know that it can work and we, we, need, to, we need to end this and move on like Portia and Albie did, right? You know, they're like, oh, okay, cool, have a nice life, right? They, neither Ethan or Harper can, can muster the courage to say, we might be in a place where this isn't going to work anymore. And we need to face that. And at least Harper's trying to open up that dialogue. And Ethan's completely fixated on the wrong thing. So how, how Mike is able to, to, to weave these nuances is beyond me. I've heard some feminist lecturers talk about sort of how men can get into a state where they're more concerned with being right than being close to their partner. <laughs> But really, though, I think that's where Ethan is. He's like, yeah. it's not that I want to be closer to her. I'm not hurt because we're getting farther apart because we already were farther apart. But I'm concerned because she thinks I did something that I didn't do. Mm. Where he's completely missing the point of it doesn't even matter if yeah. he did something. I mean, it does. But to her, more what matters is he got that close to having sex with a random sex worker, mm-hmm. and I was in lingerie in front of him the day before. Mm, right, right. And he wouldn't bother looking at me. Right. In fact, I think it was that morning, right? Yeah, no, no, no. That happened before. That happened like an episode before. Well, either way, yeah. she is com- trying to seduce him the entire season. She's, she's completely chasing him constantly and trying to liven things up, and he's just not interested. And again, he's just so much more concerned with being in the right and proving himself having told the truth than he is in addressing the actual problems in the marriage. I think, yeah, in this moment that that is, is putting a finger on it, I think, you know, to take Harper's point here, like, what has died in their relationship that, that the spark of, of attraction is even there? And he is just—he's—he's he's not willing to see it or not able to see it. I don't know one of one of the others, but they—they've—they've gone—they've their relationship is strayed off somewhere where neither of them really know where they are anymore. And then so naturally, there's no fire. Right, right. And I don't think he has any interest in rekindling it either. He's completely happy watching porn and taking care of himself. 
the other side of this too is is that you know when you've been in a relationship for a period of time like this and they're even married and how in how intertwined their lives are there's a fear of um change yeah uh, what would life be like if i wasn't with this person anymore and what would it be like to have to go through unwinding our our lives together i mean that inertia is holding him in place and he doesn't have the courage to be able to see what she's pointing out and that either, you know, step in and try to find if the relationship is still vital and, and, um, uh, and, and can continue or have the courage to step up and say, you know what, maybe, maybe we are in a place where this isn't going to work anymore and we need to figure out what to do from here. Okay, I want to talk more about Cameron and Daphne quick. <laughs> a very, yes, a, a contrast again. Well, it is, but also I don't think that it's a perfect scene for them either. I think mm-hmm. it's oh no, it's sort of showing it. how Daphne is asking for confirmation mm-hmm. that Cameron did something bad. And I think mm-hmm. he kind of knows that too. I don't think he's dumb. Right, which is then he plays the line of, you know, what did you do in Noto? Right, he's trying to play it off. Right, but I think that they kind of have an understanding, if you know what I mean. I I thought this was interesting in the sense, and I like the way that the construction of these two scenes back to back, how these two different couples start their day. One of the things with Ethan and Harper, they kind of have this thing that like ultimate honesty, like our our relationship, honest, tell each other the truth. And, you know, they're very forthright about that. But their their relationship is cold and frigid, right? They 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 don't have, you know, uh an intimacy like that, uh, a physical intimacy. But then we go over to Daphne and Cameron, and they're like trying to hump each other on the on the at the beach, at the dinner table, at the wine tasting. But their relationship is totally based on lies. Like she's had a kid, she's passing off another partner's child as Cameron's. And Cameron is, you know, doing whatever when he's going out with his, you know, finance bros, you know, and 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 wild times. Right, their relationship is t- total house of cards, but yet it's physically on fire. It's really interesting to contrast these two couples because yeah. I guess you're right that Ethan and Harper factually tell each other the truthful details. Right. Yep, but they don't actually tell each other the truth of the matter right. from in from inside themselves. Whereas Daphne and Cameron tell each other through euphemism and through vibe and through physicality how they feel about each other and what's going on in their lives without actually telling the truth about the facts. Mm-hmm. It's sort of two sides of the same coin. Like bo- Both have their own form of honesty, and one of them is working better for the couple, even though that couple has much more serious real problems. Right. And I think this is where, again, and we've talked about this before, what Mike White does is he's not saying, he's not telling us, he's he's not giving us a point of view specifically, this is good and this is bad. You should do it this way as opposed to that way. He's just, he's laying out these scenarios and then we're reacting and we're bringing whatever thoughts, feelings, experiences that we have in our reactions. And I love the fact that he's just, putting all this stuff on a plate and going, here you go. And we're all like, ah, woo-wee, you know, running around <laughs> all over the place. 
with our hair on fire and and uh, uh, you know and and um, or being challenged, you know, or oh, you know, like I said before, this episode really you know, hit me in a few places that was like, oh, wow, I remember a situation like this, or I remember being, you know, that other person in the relationship, really, really nuanced and and sometimes very difficult emotional sets. Mike White, I think, said on a different interview, I just write what I see. You know, I just Mm -hmm. sort of take what I observe and put it in here. So how much cocaine do you think that Mike snorted (laughs) to write this season? We, um, yeah, I'm not going to comment. (laughs) (laughs) not gonna comment being a man of the same generation all right at breakfast the degrassos discuss their plans for the day dominic tells the story of marty fiorina's similar experience and alby lets his father and grandfather know that he has arranged a translator uh yeah yeah he's got a translator for sure oh yeah and you know it right like he's like he said that, and it was just like, oh, yes, he did. <laughs> nice to meet you, she says later. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, they're building up these dreams in this episode, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to my hometown. First of all, can you do any research before you go to the town? <laughs> can you go on Ancestry.com and be like, hey, we're related to these people. Maybe we go to here. Do you, when, you, when you have the people giving you directions to the DeGrasso's house, do you call ahead? And say, hey, we're related. Can we stop by? No, you just show up and be weirdos who don't even speak English. (laughs) Have you ever, uh, as an Italian-American, have you ever uh, experienced this fever dream that that folks have uh, to go back to the old country? No, I haven't been to Italy. My wife has. Uh But uh, no, people in your extended family, have you seen this phenomena? Well, there's a whole thing in my family where supposedly... My grandfather was one of, like, many heirs to a house in Sicily, Uh and nobody could track it down. And when my father passed, my brothers were like, maybe we should go find it. And somebody else went and saw it, and it's apparently crumbling. So (laughs) I, I I guess that there is sort of something like that. Like, somebody in my family was like, hey, let's track down this house that we supposedly partially own. We probably own, like, a hundredth of it if we ever did the paperwork. Mm hmm and it's really just like a crumbling mess and might even have been sold by now you know <laughs> who knows who fudged what but right. yeah i mean it's it's just yeah there's this romanticism about yes. the old yes. country i guess yes. about about italy that mm-hmm. you see among italian americans and uh it's weird man i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> you and i'll be here yeah we're of uh, we're of sicilian descent we're not from sicily I- I think that's where I most identify with Albie, is his treatment of his Italian ancestry. Mm. Yeah. All right, uh, Tanya, over at the, um, in Palermo, Tanya and Portia talk over breakfast, and Tanya implores Portia to get her shit together. Quentin feigns distress over Tanya's lack of sleep, and then informs her that she is to be the guest of honor at a party later that night. So, I first want to say that Tanya gave like the wisest words that she's ever said. She was so lucid. Yeah. Where did this come from? Mhm. I first of all like that Mike White doesn't write stupid characters. Mhm. He writes characters that have a million issues and can be airheaded because they're so into themselves. But he doesn't write characters that are just straight up stupid. Right. Because Tanya said some pretty wise things to Portia. What did you think about what she was saying? I was fascinated to see 
And, and I think Tanya's, I think what, twice or three times we've seen in this season where Tanya's kind of woken up and has been very aware and insightful and really on point with a comment or a thought. And I was like, wow. And, you know, she was meandering about the doll story and, and whatnot. And then she was just like, you know, no, like, here's just some really practical advice. Get your shit together. And I, <laughs> I loved it. I, and it was hilarious. It was really great to see Jennifer Coolidge play some range with Tanya, not to be just the, the, the ditzy, you know, uh, s- slightly buffoonish character, but to right. be a character who has a point of view and a life experience and has something to say about, you know, uh, what it is to, you know, to be a person and, you know, to, to live a life. Well, we got many sides of Tanya this episode. <laughs> boy, oh boy, did we get a tour de Tanya. Right. Did you, I just loved the, and we, we commented on it earlier, but I just love the fact that Portia was wearing the, um, the Godfather t-shirt. <laughs> Do you have anything cute to wear? <laughs> I just keep there coming back to that. Comment. Yeah. And like, that wasn't even yeah, with, uh, yeah. that was with the I don't the think they were trying to say anything with that. I think it was just fun. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe the actor could have just put it on in the moment or something like that. It was. It feels like a lot is the in the production of the show is discovered in the moment. They're like, oh, we could use this thing here, the Testo de Moro, or we could, you know, use this scene here because we're next to that thing over there, right? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of improv in that regard. Yeah, it's a lot of fun too. I mean, I think that it kind of brings the show to life because you're on vacation. And oh man, we found the shirt from the car thing and the, the car explosion in The Godfather. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What did you make of Tanya being dressed up like a doll? I think that perfectly describes her character. And she's much more self aware than I thought. I thought it was interesting later that we see Tanya dress up like a doll and have other people play with her. Literally. Right, they're using her as this, you know, f- toy to to have fun with and around. Yeah, it was a really uncomfortable scene later, but I guess we can talk about that more later. Right. Okay. Um, Valentina scolds Salvatore, and then uh, Lucia and Mia inquire about an envelope. Lucia and Mia then see Ethan and confront him, and then on her way to breakfast, Harper s- oversees oversees. Um, sees the conversation that Ethan is having with, uh, Harp, uh, with Mia and Lucia. No good, Ethan. You can't get caught look, talking to the prostitutes that you just <laughs> told her you did nothing with. Why would you be having a conversation with her? And why didn't he say, I didn't do anything with you guys. Get, get lost. Although he did take the drugs, I guess. So he should yeah. give them something. Yeah, yeah. He, he does. I, I mean, he represents part of the equation there. So he is on the hook for that. Right, right. I mean, I think the missed opportunity, which is a little bit later, is, you know, Ethan just saying, oh, yeah, look, you know, more of what happened was apparently Cameron hasn't paid them. And so they're asking me for the, the money, right. you know, for the Molly and, and everything like that. And so they were confronting me. Like, he could have just been straight up and she would have got that. I think Harper is a big enough person to recognize that truth of the matter. But instead, it gets into the whole weird stuff that they were, you know, arguing over before. Right, right. And then he continues to gaslight her the whole day and pretend pretend it didn't happen. And then he doesn't even mention it to Cameron later. I mean, I think they continue off camera. Yeah. But 
you know, we didn't, I feel like they would have shown us if he actually said, hey, you didn't pay them. Why? Right. Is this like rich tacky? I don't know. I'm not rich. <laughs> oh, you didn't pay for your sex workers last night. Uh, oh, is that rude? I, I don't know. Right. Well, and it plays into this whole thing about you know, whether Cameron actually has the money or not. Right. Exactly. All right, David, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into Valentina's arc. And we're back. So, David, bring us to the hotel lobby again. Yeah. So, uh, Valentina sees Salvatore uh, talking with um, Isabella and uh, sort of <laughs> makes some like shooing away noises at him. Big shout out for Sabrina Impacciatore. She is killing it in this role. I absolutely love her portrayals and her ability to change emotions on a dime and be obtuse and acute in the, you know, in, you know, just moments apart. She's incredible. She seems so nervous the whole time, but she can also play just so badass and just mm -hmm. in charge of everybody. It's really interesting to see, I guess, what Mike White is saying about the different faces we put on for different situations, right? Because somebody who's so in control at work and is so just dominating is just a bumbling mess when she talks to the girl she likes. Mm -hmm. Really interesting with that. So when she invites Isabella for drinks, Isabella is just, wow, I have a friend at work. My boss likes me. Mm -hmm. She's thrilled. And Valentina just gets all the wrong messages. Mm -hmm. Again, if we're talking about the nice guy, a lot of times people say incels are people who don't understand that when a woman is being nice to them, that doesn't mean that they're sexually interested in them. Mm -hmm. That is Valentina to a T. I really mm -hmm. think that Mike White wants us to compare her and what Albie said. Right. And I think it's so interesting, not only with uh, the gender reversal here from what we talked about last uh, on a previous podcast from season one with um, what's the hotel manager's name from season one? Armand. Uh, Armand. Um, that look, you know, this, this kind of behavior is not just limited to one sex or the other, right? It can, it can be anyone. And at the same time, I feel so conflicted because I want to be so on Valentina's side. Like she has a whole side of her identity that is unexpressed and repressed for so long. And so she's taken a shot like, oh, cool. Like I can somebody who actually likes me, I can do this, but completely clueless and completely abusing her position of power as this person's boss, right? Like completely inappropriate. So I'm so conflicted, but that is such a good storyline for us to, to be involved with here. Right. Because you're supposed to be conflicted. Yeah. Now I will say missed opportunity. And I know we complain about fan service, mm -hmm. but missed opportunity to bring back an iconic line from season one. Uh, what, Would you what like that? to find out? Sure, please tell me. No, I mean, that's the line. Would you like to find out? Oh. <laughs> oh. Don't you remember Mark going, uh, what, what's it like to be? <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, right. <laughs> I remember that now when they're drinking at the bar. And uh, yeah, he asks him. Yeah, that's hilarious. Right. Uh, yeah, Armand, that was really, yes. Armand says, would you like to find out? I feel like that could have been a perfect thing with Mia going, would you like to find out? Right. <laughs> Armand was so good. That was awesome. Yeah. 
Harper confronts Ethan about his conversation with Lucia and Mia. Well, we kind of touched on this uh, a little bit earlier where where Ethan could have just come come clean. Uh, instead, they get into this whole gaslighty s- scenario again. Right. And again, he should have talked to Cameron mm. about it. it I, I don't know what is going through Ethan's head right now. I guess Ethan is way more focused on Harper's behavior and being vindicated and being in the right. And he's just completely missing every exit ramp that he has. It's an interesting point that you make about the, you know, the willingness to be right uh, versus the willingness to maybe fess up to a small or medium or even large size, you know, transgression. And then sort of dealing with the discomfort of like acknowledging that, acknowledging the impact that it had and then figuring out like how to repair it or not do it again or whatever the next, you know, the next step actions are. And people will just hold on to trying to have that magic bubble of I'm not wrong. It's not fair, he said earlier. Oh, right. Fair, fair. fair? Like, what is that? What kind of, you know, response or reaction is that? Fairness? You're the one that was partying. Harper, I only invited the, the sex workers over and I did Molly with them, and I watched my friend fuck them. <laughs> I didn't touch them. Well, maybe a little bit with the kissing, but I pushed her off. You know, I, I said no eventually, and yeah, all right. I, I yeah, yeah, it, it's not fair, he says. Again, it, it, you really can frame this as he's more concerned about being right, I think. Yeah, and his head is, I, I will give him that his head is really screwed up, right? I have no doubt that his work situation has catapulted him to a, a place where he's out of his depth, maybe a little bit, and and his relationship is in this position, but he's still not taking responsibility and sorting himself out, getting his shit together. He does not have his shit together in this situation. All right, next we hop over and we see Jack uh, talking to Portia to arrange a day trip because he has daddy's credit card and car. And then Quentin watches them leave as they leave. He was definitely told to get her out of the picture, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. This was his job, was to get her out. And probably his job to get drunk and find an excuse to stay away for the night, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he he just I think he would have guess, just said, you know, yeah, put them, you know, put the moves on or keep her away. Right. Because he just figured, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're bumping and grinding. You know, they can just do that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first red flag. And uh, it just got worse as it went on. It did. Really, really bad as it went on. All right. The DeGrassos get ready to head out to explore their roots. And Albie introduces their translator for the day as they drive. Bert gets to know Lucia a bit better. Hospitality. What an industry. <laughs> that was so smooth. That, that was doing a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, that was one of those moments where I laughed out loud. <laughs> it's not a lie. It's, it's not, not a lie. There's, there's hospitality not. happening. Absolutely. And I just loved the whole um, discomfort that Dominic was dealing with here and, and his, his father <laughs> saying, be cool, man. Just be cool. Yeah, You're giving your position away. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. oh my god, Dad, stop! I think Bert got the wrong lesson from Dominic's conversation of like, you taught me to treat women this way, and he's like, 
Yeah, I did. And I didn't teach you how to cover it up right. So let me teach you that now. <laughs> Very good point. Right. In this scene, as they're driving, we do get a song and our agent in Italy has um, given us some intel on this. We'll cover that later. But it's a song, Tippy Tippy Tea by Orietta Berti. And uh, I don't know, it's just another great musical choice and construction for the episode. Very cool. Thanks, Marta. All right, the foursome heads for the beach, and Daphne arranges to have a massage. Ethan confronts Harper. Harper and Cameron go for drinks. Oh, I'm sorry. Ethan confronts Cameron. Harper and Cameron go for drinks. Ethan goes for a swim. Okay, so first of all, I want to compliment Aubrey Plaza because I've never seen somebody use menial tasks this way before, Mm -hmm. like opening her shirt with rage. (laughs) <laughs> there was also um eating her toast with rage earlier mm-hmm. like the, the the most rage-filled bite of toast with with the crunch that just really hits you in the face <laughs> so shout out to aubrey plaza killing it this season for sure really great yeah, yeah this is your first season of anything with her right so yeah, yeah. So how, I, how are I you am, feeling i am i wasn't sure what to make of her in episodes one and two, but her ability to turn on a dime and go from like wild and crazy and like, let's go have drinks and party to, you know, like when they went for the wine tasting stuff to just vicious and, and mean to like dead inside. This relationship is just like, you know, we're too, we're too young to be old, like that whole thing to then like turning on the sex appeal. Like, she is deploying all of these tools as an actor just so effectively. I'm really, really impressed. And I think this is a great role for her, you know, for somebody like me who has not seen her before. It's really going to give her a um, much better profile out in the uh, television land and movie land, because I think this season of television is going to get some Emmy nominations for sure. She's been incredible in this, and this is the most range I think she's been allowed to express in any show so far, or any movie. Uh-huh. Um, see, I've seen her, you know, Parks and Rec, everybody's seen that, I feel like. But she was super deadpan in that, and she was always like, I'm not going to smile unless it's like a devious smile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I've saw, seen like Ingrid Goes West, which is a great movie, but she's like super creepy in it and super unhinged, and she's really good at playing that. But we haven't seen her be like, a normal person who, for justifiable reasons, sometimes unhinges. <laughs> yeah. Really it, great. Yeah. So, Harper flirting with Cameron was just insane <sighs> to me. Yeah. I mean, you could see exactly what she's doing, right? She's saying, what? No, nothing happened. I've been honest with you the whole time. She's yeah. not going to rub it in like that. She's too smart to repeat what he's saying. Right. But she's basically saying, like, oh, you're asking me to blindly trust you because I haven't lied to you. Meanwhile, I'm doing something with somebody you invited me on a trip with, and that triggers you so hard because I tell you that nothing happened. I mean, what do you do in this situation here, right? Like, um, you know, we'll get to the the follow-up scene to this in a minute, but even in just this situation where, you know, the spouse and the person that you've come th- with, you're 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 here like what do you do like it's such a mess how do you <laughs> how would Ethan even hand, i don't even know how Ethan would handle this situation even if you wanted to try i mean 
it it's I don't know. It's it was so awkward and uncomfortable and but so perfect in terms of these characters and 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 what they would do. And then Ethan going for a swim. I saw people yeah. saying they thought that Hooper's going to drown almost. It certainly he was just so like, yeah. deep under and kind of emotionally under too. Well, I think this is where they're really using the scene transitions and and the atmospherics to create that sense of um uh that ominous sense uh that that foreboding because certainly we know that there's one body in the water in the Ionian Sea. Yeah. Right. And so that certainly gives us a, a touch of that. And then that um Ethan's sort of fever madness, right? He's like starting to trip out a little bit and and be very uncomfortable. And so yeah, I think he I think that deliberate tone setting um by Mike White here. Yeah, yeah. Ethan is going down a dark path and very, very it will be fascinating to see where it ends yeah and i think that's um that gives the show that juge right like ooh, like i really want to find out like does he go like crazy and ballistic does he try something or does he you know do something to somebody or himself or yeah what like i i we, the the tension and resolution set up here is is um really got me hooked yep jack and portia talk about life while eating ice cream and drinking budweiser Jack sounded very wise here. You know, this was sort of the episode of people who have been portrayed as kind of dumb and kind of ditzy mm-hmm. saying very wise things. Yes, and it's true. Jack really tells Portia what she needs to hear. And I think if he doesn't do what he does later, he's like the perfect guy for her in her eyes. He's not wrong, is he? Uh, in, in the sense that, like, this isn't the Middle Ages. We, we're not dealing with the Black Plague and armies rampaging back and forth uh, across the place. I mean, he's drinking a bottled beer that was out of a refrigerator and she's eating ice cream, right? Like, those are pretty good (laughs) benefits of living in society. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. It was, he's right. He's right. Like, this is, if you were going to choose a time to be alive, this is the time. And you, I think for me here too at this scene was when I was really the first, first point where the shine of Jack is starting to to dull here a little bit, right? Just his his even though he's dropping some life wisdom there, just the fact that he's being I don't know, he's almost be, he almost had a fatalistic streak to him in some ways, like fuck it, I'm just going to drink bud and hang out and and whatever. Like he knows what's going down back at the villa and he's on this mission to try to keep her entertained. But yet some of his just base nature is coming out, just sort of like, he's just a dude, right? He's not all that. Right. I think um, I think he might even be feeling some guilt about what he knows yeah. is going down at the villa. I think so. Like, you're feeling uncomfortable about it. Yeah, he's got some complicated feelings about it, for sure. Yeah. All right. Albie and Lucia bring the good news about possible relatives in the area. They are followed by Alessio, and Lucia leaves with him. Lucia is so full of shit. <laughs> so you're you're so on team, team long con here of course i am i mean yeah. everything has led there i don't right. think that mike white is playing with us that much right i mean we didn't hear her ever mention alessio except when she said hi to him in the beginning um and why wouldn't he why wouldn't she mention it to me especially when Mia's is trying to get into the industry mm-hmm. like oh you don't have an alessio to make sure that you're okay Something and like that, you know, she like has, some, some kind of euphemism for a pimp. 
she has Albie so buttonholed here in terms of activating his white knight sort of emotions. Albie thinks he's in the Justice League right now. <laughs> good call. <laughs> I have to say, good good acting job on uh, Alessio and Lucia. I mean, they're really selling it. And then the the way she's like, no, no, it's fine. Like this like plausible deniability kind right. of thing where she's just really selling it. And then she just looks sad and longing as she goes off with him. What does Bert do in this scene? I forget. Um, doesn't he... Bert like steps out of the car and is like, you're going to let him go with her? Don't mm-hmm. go with him. And it doesn't, I don't think that amounts to anything at that point, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah, he just, right. he just shouts after her like, right. oh, don't go with him. Good news though, there are other DeGrassos in the area. <laughs> All right, returning from his swim, Ethan looks for Harper and then returns to his room and becomes suspicious. Oof, this was a heavy scene. That was so intentional. That was so intentional to lead him down the path of thinking that they slept together. I think that she's really just like manipulating him and he he kind of deserves it, you know? Like uh, he's, he's asking her he to blindly it? trust him. He's asking her to blindly trust him and she's tried to level with him. She tried to talk to him a million times. And then even this morning after he gave a half-assed explanation, uh, she, she said, you know, I'm, I feel like we should just talk about us. She gave him an opening. She gave him everything that she possibly could. And now she's in the mode of, well, I can't, I can't beat him. I may as well join him. Now, is it like a good thing to do? Is it a morally good thing to do? No, it's not. Right. But it's not just. He's kind of getting his just desserts. Right, right. In the, in the morality play that is the show. <laughs> not right. In, not in reality. Yeah. Right. The, I could feel Ethan's fever here of, you know, of ha- the effect of the, the gaslighting, whatever actually happened or didn't happen, but just, f- just seeing all the facts laid out there and seeing all of the things, but not yet having the actual smoking gun of it. The, the actor who's playing Ethan is just like, he has me sold of how he's experiencing this set of emotions. Yeah. Can I just say also, the actors for Ethan and Cameron are British, and they both have excellent American accents. Yeah, yeah, they, they do a good job. <laughs> the, the Brits got us beat in a lot of ways. They do. Um, you know, we, we make fun of the Brits every week, but they, they won, I guess. <laughs> they're, they're getting their revenge. They're just desserts. They're recolonizing us. Revenge of the Brits. Right. And just the, the touch of like, wait, Cameron's coming out with a book? Oh, like, duh, I forgot my book. <laughs> I'm like... Dude, like this is the guy that was doing Molly, that was, you know, cavorting with with uh with sex workers, with like, you know, doing all this stuff. And oh, I'm just gonna read my I just forgot my book. Well, he wants to be learned. Do you okay, so where are you here? Are you do you have an opinion about what actually happened or didn't happen? She didn't sleep with him. Okay. I'm almost certain she did not sleep with him. Uh-huh. All all that happened is she wanted him. She wanted Ethan to think that she slept with Cameron or at least put enough doubt in his mind where he she teaches him the lesson of, oh, you know what? You do jump to conclusions the same way anybody would jump to conclusions on a suspicious thing like this. And, you know, you deserve an explanation and I'm not going to give it to you because you won't give me a real explanation. What is so what are you saying that this is a setup that she put up Cameron to this? 
to play along with this? Well, I don't know if Cameron even knows that the game is going on. I think that it could just be he legitimately went in uh-huh. to get his book. Right. And, and then she, she set off in. everything else. Adju- put the door ajar, right. put the lock on, acted sort of all flustered. Right, right. And like Oof. propped the door open a little bit. Ooh, I feel like you're putting all your chips, you're like you're pushing all your internet points onto the table here. This is the big Look, one. Maybe the house will win one day, but so far I'm doing pretty fucking well. <laughs> okay. So, all right. We had a Twitter comment today where somebody said, I was doubtful when the Lorehound said the gay mafia. But then it was the gay mafia. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe people should just start listening to me. Maybe I should write the show. You know? Maybe. I'm, yeah, I'm maybe. just kidding. No, I can't. I can't. Mike White is just too magical with that pen. That's right. All right. Uh, the DeGrassos roll up on a house and then are chased off by the women that they find there. Um, this was hilarious. Uh, I just love the, the looks on their faces as these like three bumbling dudes show up and then like to be chased out like with this woman waving a knife and like cursing you and all of your kind was a masterful stroke of of humor in this episode i'm pretty sure my grandma was in that house (laughs) it's just such a true archetype is this Uh italian woman who is just tough as nails and is just like i'm not gonna put up with your shit i have not been chased with a knife i have been chased with a wooden spoon Mm-hmm. Um, it's the wooden spoon is truly the in in America the Italian Americans they're like well the murder laws are a lot stricter here so we right. have to uh, we have to downgrade <laughs> from knives to wooden spoons but yeah no I mean they just nailed this it was so funny so so funny so what do you reckon are those actually their uh, relatives or does it matter I don't think it matters I think uh-huh. they were just like you y'all are full of shit just get mm-hmm. out of here. Right. And it seemed very uh, anti-male. They're like, we, didn't, was, doesn't one of them say, like, we don't need the, any men around here? Like, you right. know, maybe they, they, chased them, they chased them off. They all went off to the gay mafia. Right. Um, as they leave, there's another great song that plays here. Si Chiamava uh, Jesu. So I think this, uh, Marta, um, in our email, we'll, we'll touch on this. I think it's uh, Jesus Comes or the Coming of Jesus, something like that. Well, I don't think that the DeGrassos are going to be equated with Jesus in the eyes of these women. <laughs> this was a weird musical choice, uh, but it sounded great as, uh, as that was playing. Yeah. Well, I guess there's that theme of like homecoming, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that oh, gets sure. played later. Right. And, and so maybe that's what they're going for with this. I mean, talk about uh, uh, all of this... Um, expectation that they had and like how more opposite could it have had that experience have been right to be like roundly chased off um and and just to have such a negative experience when you were thought that they were going to open their arms to you and pour wine and you know have beautiful food put out on the table yeah lucia was like i'm gonna wreck your whole day (laughs) i'm gonna send you to a house of women who will definitely be hostile. Do you think that's not a setup though? Like that? That's no, no, no. True. I just, yeah. I think that she. I think that in her gut, because she grew up in this area, would know like nobody's going to take your American bullshit here. <laughs> this, it's just universally right. And without a translator, they're totally fucked. Yeah, like completely. maybe if they had a local, right. maybe if they had a local, they'd say, "Hey, you might know my parents." You know, these these people I met at the hotel, they think that they might be related to you. Do you think we could talk together? 
Maybe they get in a little bit. They, she could sweet talk her way in. But just as the Americans going, me Tarzan, you Jane. <laughs> just, it's not going to happen, man. Right. All right. Back on the beach, Ethan and Harper argue. Daphne returns from her massage and Cameron and her get horny. Yeah, so largely a, a transition scene here, a little setup uh, to get us from one thing to the, the next. But uh, again, Ethan really suffering under the, the gaslighting that, Har- that Harper is laying down on him. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Ethan is just having a trouble. time. He's just having a time. He knows, he knows it's all over with this. I, right. I don't know if he realizes the marriage is over, but I think he realizes that he is just in the shithouse for the rest of the trip. Yep. I think, too, the, um, and we see some of his rage come out later, um, directed at Cameron, but like, I think maybe it's dredging up a lot of um, some unresolved issues that he had, maybe back from college and high school. Uh, about being, you know, the original incel, uh, quote-unquote, you know, to use Cameron's phrase. Well, I think it's all Cameron used to swoop in on every girl he liked, Yeah, exactly. And here he is with his wife. Right, right. And just like, oh boy, like, talk about a sore spot. Press in on. All right, Jack gets pissed and Portia wants to return to the party. Tanya gets dressed up like a doll and Quentin promises her well-hung arm candy. He shows her off to a few guests and then introduces her to our friend, Niccolo. Niccolo, who has a pistol, he's got cocaine, he's got everything. This looked like a legit party, too, that he was taking around to, like some, you know, uh, actual people there. Like, it wasn't a a fake deal. Like, it was a a full-on rager there. It was... It was a lot. It Mm -hmm. was a lot. There was a lot of cocaine. Uh... I, for a little while, thought that they were trying to get her to OD, honestly. Okay. They were trying to push her to, like, have a heart attack. Right. Because cocaine will do that, especially, I mean, I don't know how old uh, Tanya's supposed to be, but, you know, Jennifer Coolidge isn't super young, and if she is doing lines of cocaine and lines of cocaine, and she hasn't done it in years and years, right? she's doing some serious damage to her cardiac system. Right. But as the night went on, I saw that what they were doing, and... I have some thoughts about it later, but I want to get to the, the main event first. Sure. Sounds good. So we cut over to Isabella, and, who informs Valentina that she and Rocco are engaged. This was a real gut punch scene. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, there's no reason why Rocco can't work next to her. It's not like they're, they've been caught in any kind of misconduct or anything like that. They were both good at their jobs together. Uh, they were both charming with the guests. And Valentina is currently putting her sexual desires over her ability to manage effectively. Mm -hmm. And she's actually exposed um, Isabella to harassment. With Salvatore. (laughs) Right, with Salvatore. (laughs) Whereas she was like, oh, is Rocco bothering you the whole time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not good. It's not Uh good, man. She's a bad boss. Just a logistical note here, both Rocco and Salvatore are name-checked in the first episode in that scene when Valentina comes down. I mean, Rocco is there, and then he mentions Salvatore, so they're definitely both not dying in this uh, season of television. But I did like the fact that that's why, like, logistically, it makes sense, Rocco and Salvatore and the beach uh, connection. So, you know, good job on keeping all your characters straight and where they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. 
um, the scene when I was rewatching it today to do my notes, and I kind of missed it on the first watch when Isabella goes to leave the look on Valentina's face and um, the actress even like quivers her lip a little bit um, to give this sense of just that heavy emotions that she's dealing with. I was just like, I felt so bad for Valentina. Yes, as a boss, she's abusing her power and because she has, you know, authority over this person in the workplace. But at the same time, she was just looking for a connect, you know, like she's just looking to get a hookup here, you know? I felt so bad for her. I felt badly for her, but also, I mean, the whole thing of like, well, if we can't be romantic partners, we can't be friends. That's pretty shitty, too. Right. Well, she put herself out there. She's super vulnerable in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I wonder if Isabella really picked up on what Valentina was doing here. Completely I kind of don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think she's stupid necessarily, but I think she is oblivious to Valentina being a lesbian. Yeah, I think Isabella's um, just kind of clueless. Not that she's clueless like she's not an intelligent person. I just don't think it's it's registering on her radar at all. Like, she's right. just so um, in her world, work, uh, uh, boyfriend, uh, uh, you know, engagement. And she does look up, honestly, to uh, Valentina and wants to get, you know, I mean, that's what you do, right? You impress your boss. You get noticed by your boss. I, I-, I think she's clueless not in a um a stupid way but just in a way that she's just not it's just not part of her her focus right it reminds me of what people say there there's been talks recently about the glass ceiling for women in like corporate culture uh huh and it's sort of like i've heard some women say who succeeded a lot it took me longer to network with my bosses because i could say i'd get coffee with them and that would be fine but I couldn't agree to go to a drink with them or dinner with them mm. because then they get the wrong, um, right. the, you know, the wrong right. idea. And my yep. male counterparts can say yes to those and right. not worry about it. And so really interesting commentary on like the limitations of where women can go with their bosses because of these kinds of dynamics. That's a good point. All right, Ethan challenges Cameron to stop flirting with his wife, and then Harper picks up on the bad vibes. So this is at dinner in the restaurant of the hotel. So is Cameron in on it or not? Because I think he was kind of taken aback, but I also think he thought it was hilarious. I'm not sure. Like, does he have the guile enough to do this? I I don't know. Absolutely, he does. Not this kind of scam. Well, but he is a finance bro. Like, he scams people out of their money. Here I go, assuming things about him because he works in finance. <laughs> well, I don't think it's that he works in finance. I think it's just who he sold us that he is, you know? He's like, mm-hmm. hey, help me buy insider, help me insider trade. Uh, he, you know, tries to push Ethan to give him his money to invest. He stiffs the sex workers. He, you know, he's told us that he's kind of a scam artist. I think he's more of a buffoon, though. I don't think he's, I don't know that he's got the chops to actually, I mean, sure, it's if, if Harper is orchestrating the, the thing and he's playing along, I, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that he would be able to pull off. He's too much of a bro to, to, to pull this kind of scam. I don't know. I don't think that they slept together, like I said. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Cameron is in on it, but I kind of don't think so. 
Harper certainly picks up on the vibes uh, between them, and he and she sees Ethan's death stare. So I wonder if she was doing this intentionally. Is she realizing like she might have pushed it a little too far, or she's like, she's okay. I've pushed it far enough. I need to back off here. I just think that this whole situation is going to explode next episode. I mean, it has to. It's the finale. Yep. All right, Valentina has a drink at the bar while Mia plays the piano. Bert laments the lack of a homecoming, and then he compliments Mia on her playing. Um, John, there is no homecoming. (laughs) So this was where I say you needed F. Murray Abraham to play this role. Mm, Yeah. It's sort of like, did you ever see Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Yeah, I love that movie. That was a lot of fun. So Scott's an asshole, right? We can agree Mm -hmm. on that. Right. And so that's why you needed Michael Sarah to play him, mm-hmm. because you can't root for a character that you completely dislike. Mm-hmm. And Michael Sarah is so wholesome that even when he's being a complete jerk, you kind of want him to get the girl and you kind of want him to win. This is the same thing where, like, F. Murray Abraham's character, Bert, is a monster, right? right? Like, he's just harassing everybody. He cheated on his wife serially. He gaslights his son about the influence he had. And yet, you can see in this moment how pained he is about having lost his wife and you can actually Mm -hmm. feel for him and you Mm -hmm. feel that it's real. And that's why his acting is what makes this character work. I don't think that a lesser actor could have pulled this off. All all the while with a little bandage on his head, (laughs) which makes him look ridiculous. Yeah. Again, he's the wounded bird. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. He's the wounded uh, Swan, Zeus. And he really lays out that um, whole homecoming line with such pathos, you know, and, and such drama. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, it kind of sucks that you don't have that kind of homecoming. And it's kind of your own fault. <laughs> so he said, not the touch of a woman you love, the embrace of a woman you love. He said the embrace of a woman. I wonder if he's like, well, it's been a while. Maybe I'll get up to what my son and grandson are doing, too. (laughs) Maybe. Hopefully not. Because he was a little friendly with Mia, but he also is friendly Uh, with every single person who identifies as a woman who passes him. Well, and he appreciates her playing uh, more than Giovanni, so that's for sure. Yes. And I think, you know, his his whole thing about the embrace of a woman, I mean, he's coming from that, um, to be stereotypical here about generations, right? He's got that very patriarchal... Like, I'm out in the world doing the hard labor. I come back to my home. There's a fire. You know, there's, uh, there's somebody there to put a warm, you know, a delicious meal in, in front of me and to, you know, where I can lay my shoulder, you know, a, a shoulder that I can lay my head on kind of thing. And so I think he's really lamenting the loss of that stereotypical was never was sort of reality. Um, and, and in this way, it's been slapped in his face. You know, he got chased out of this. <laughs> you know, ancestral ancestral home with a knife and, uh, you know, a curse put upon him. I guess that was his last homecoming resort, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, and it just wasn't there. All right. Then we've got a, a series of scenes that sort of all interweave here um, as we wrap up the episode. Tanya has some fun at the party and we see Nicolo's gun. She later sees a photo of what is probably Greg on Quentin's dresser. This is the big reveal that uh, everybody's talking about. That's Greg. Come on. That's totally. Greg. Yeah. I think that they wanted us to to see that because he's doing the smile that Greg had in season one. He's doing the eyebrows up. When Greg is like doing any kind of expression, his eyebrows mm-hmm. go yep, angle yep. up in the middle. 
Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what they're trying to tell us. I don't know if that's a de-aged picture of the actor. I don't know if that's an actual picture of him when he's young. Sure, Photoshop. I don't know if it's right. just a new actor. Yeah, right. Um, but it's it's um, very clearly Greg. I think I during the while watching it the first time, I missed it. I was actually focusing on what would have been Quentin's character, um, and for whatever reason, my eyes just didn't pick up on, on Greg. So this morning, when uh, on, on our Discord channel for the episode, people were chatting about this uh, quite quite uh, actively. I was like, huh, I'm not sure if that was Greg or whatever. And then I went and I looked and I found the photo and I was like, oh no, that is Greg. 100%. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. Like once I actually took a look at it. And so, yeah, this, this uh, broke back story that um, Quentin was uh, uh, telling us is not far from the truth. Who would have thought that Quentin and Greg were the inspiration behind Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> funny, funny. So, like, is this just one giant long con? Like, how far does this go back? When did Greg and, you know, and, and Quentin, like, hatch this scheme? Like, how is it going to go? Is this a blackmail operation? Is this a, a survivor death benefit operation? I have so many questions. I have no idea. And if you would, you know, well, we did. We were theorizing at the very, be you know, first episode of this. I had no... There's no way to predict where we are now. The, the left and the right turns that, we've, that have gotten us here are so... Um, I, I just, uh, there's no way I would have ever been able to predict uh, the, the situation that we're in now. And yet I did. <laughs> you go. know what? I Glow said fest. Greg was working with the gay mafia. Yeah, yeah, you and did. And here we are. Oh my so God. you know what? Y'all better write in next week because we are low on feedback this week. And I want to chat. <laughs> you want to gloat that's what you want to do i do want to gloat but back at the hotel uh lucia returns to albi and then we got a couple of cut scenes and then they end up sitting on the beach under the moon and talking about um lucia's situation and then they kiss and cuddle all right so continuation of the scene we have uh nicolo uh and tanya and she's nervous and he uh, um he uh, makes a move. He does. He does. Now, eagle-eyed fans have found a detail that may suggest where this is going. Mm -hmm. If you pause right at 5811, somebody on Reddit found that, so thank you. If you pause right at 5811, just above Tanya's head, between the two actors, you can see a red camera light, like a recording light. And I will say, I had the hardest time finding this, and it, so we just found it. And um, it is to the right of Niccolo, to the left of Tanya, as Niccolo is facing us as he's stroking her hair. And there is definitely a little red light up in the corner, for sure. So here's what I'm thinking here. Uh -huh. And Josh the Black, patron and uh, Discord, Discord contributor, Discord mod, yeah, um, posited this theory as well. Whereas I think that. Tanya is not going to be extorted for money. Instead, this is an entrapment to get her to break the conditions of her prenup. Okay, interesting. If there is a fidelity clause in the prenup, perhaps Greg can get it voided, leave her, and take half her money. Mm-hmm. And then he'll give a cut okay. to the gay mafia to keep right. the villa going. Right. Well, and then ostensibly join his long-lost lover. Or is he just playing him? Right. Yeah, who, yeah, it, it, yeah, games within games here. 
I before seeing this little camera here, um, my thought was that it was just going to be a straight up extortion because they can't kill her and then transfer the money because like that's going to be ridiculous. She signs a will in Palermo uh, and is witnessed by these shady people and like what what U.S. court of any court is going to like ship the money to Italy? Like that seems pretty crazy to me. And if you know how how do the survivor benefits work with her trust or her estate or whatever? But to me, now, if they're doing some sort of entrapment, some sort of blackmail, like that is a much more feasible plan. Um, and if it's as nuanced as having these, um, you know, getting it voided and all of this kind of stuff, then, you know, that's, I think, details. Um, but I think, I think we're finally on the right track here. Yeah. Now, arguably, she's been drugged and, and disoriented all night. She could argue that this wasn't consensual. Sure, right. And somebody pointed out, you know, Harper represents victims. Could she help? But I think that that's just too much plot for the finale. Yeah. So I think that they're just going to try to get this prenup voided and get Greg out of this marriage. I don't think they're going to kill her. I think that they're just going to be like, well, we have this video of you sleeping with him. So prenup's gone, lady. It'll cost you this much. Sign here, transfer the money, and we're all done and done. Right. Yeah. Or or they just, you know, avoid the prenup and let him get a divorce and, and do it the long way. Right. But I do think that that's why Greg was like, oh, we'll talk about it when I get back with the prenup, when she said, I'll get rid of it. Uh-huh. He didn't need to do that because he already had a deal going, and you can't back out of a deal with the gay mafia. <laughs> Good point. I mean, it, it would certainly lend credence to what he said. Um, at least, you know, well, you know, I don't know, was he, who is he talking to? We're really not sure. Could he have been talking to Quentin on the I balcony? I think so. I think he could have been saying she's clueless. Okay. I'm trying to remember, we should have reviewed that scene because what does he say? Yeah, I can't remember what the, but the, the lines were now at this, at yeah. this time. He calls her clueless and he, yeah. and he basically dismisses her and says she doesn't know what's going on. Right. So right. very well could have been Quentin. I think that it's, it's extremely possible that that was him. All right, Mia sings happy birthday to Valentina in an unused suite. Boy, Marilyn Monroe is still getting tributes. How many years later? <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, Skylar White is doing it. Mm -hmm. We got, uh, you know, we got Mia doing it. It's the classic. It's going to be a classic forever, probably. What did you make of Mia's offer here? I thought it was a very nice gesture. I thought it was very tender. Very sweet, looking after somebody who is clearly a little bit heartbroken on their birthday. Yeah, honestly, it was it was very nice for her to be like, "Hey, don't worry about it. You know, we'll we'll make it happen." And it did seem like she was successful. It yeah. did seem like they got there. Yeah, well, <laughs> I would I, I would think so. I thought it was hilarious too. With uh, Mio's like, "What? I even I've been with a woman." <laughs> like she's just like, yeah. "What's wrong with you, girl?" Would you like to find out? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was the moment. That, that was, was the, the moment, moment it could have happened. Right, and for, for Valentina, it did. And I loved Valentina's, Valentina's giddiness in that moment of like, wait a minute, I do have the power. I do have the master key. I do run this hotel. Like, I can do whatever the hell I want. Let's go, right? I loved her sort of awakening to, to the fact that, you know, she could like cut loose and have a little fun here. I'm sure it's breaking a zillion protocols of the hotel, but, you know, that is a slippery slope, Armand. Yeah, very slippery slope. <laughs> I mean, from like taking the drugs from somebody to saying, hey, I'll give you the shifts you want if you want to, 
uh, doing me a favor. I mean, it's the same deal. I think, uh, I mean, what if part of what Mike White is saying is, well, you were all rightfully pissed when Armand was abusing his power as an employer Mm -hmm. to get sexual favors. Why are you not as pissed when a female manager is doing the same thing? Right. And, and he cloaks it in the birthday, the heartbreak of the birthday that this poor woman just wants to, you know, get laid. Um, you know, she wants to actually, you know, e- express who she is, what, who, what her sexuality is, having never done that before. That is so sympathetic. At the same time, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, I could trade this sexual favor, uh, uh, you know, employment for a sexual favor here, you know, like, yeah, it's very messy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really impressive how he makes you want to root for Valentina and also go, Ugh. Yeah. All right, Ethan's imagination gets the better of him. This scene really took me aback. It took me a moment to understand what I was actually watching for a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was actually a really cool thing. I love when filmmakers do this, when they show you two different perspectives of the mm-hmm. same scene. Yeah. And he nailed it with this. I, I This this was a perfect way to show like, oh, what what Ethan is thinking in his head. It's so hard to reflect what people think on screen. And this did it. Right. And it was so plausible. All the clues line up perfectly. Yeah, he's going insane. Yeah. He's going to kill Cameron. <laughs> I, I just think he's going to kill Cameron. I think the Deadpool is off. And I think Cameron's dead next episode. All right. Jack is a sloppy mess. And back at their hotel, he lets slip details about Quentin and Jack's own past. He passes out and Portia looks concerned. I feel like this was out of an episode of Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very like a British man is a mess and is out on the town just messing everybody's lives up. Nobody wanted to hear him. And he almost got into a bad fight with that one guy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, lucky. Because he, he, he pushed him. In. Yeah, he's lucky that that guy didn't want to fight. Yeah, he's just sort of being a yabo, like, yeah, running around singing uh, uh, football uh, chants and, and just being a total dirtbag on the streets of Italy. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what's worse when you're traveling around beautiful old European towns, you know, a, a mob of, of Englishmen singing football songs or uh, a bunch of uh, Americans with their water bottles all held out in front of them as <laughs> talismans. I wasn't sure how much of what Jack was spinning was real and how much of it was lies. Like, was it a slip that he was saying all of the stuff or was that somehow intentional? I think it was a slip. I think he was genuinely really smashed. Right. I I don't think that he had control of himself there. And it was really interesting to see him go like, you don't even get it, Tanya. Like, you have had such a privileged life. Mm, Yeah. And yet you just spend all day complaining. Meanwhile, I'm here having a great time when I'm literally being coerced into gay sex. And I'm... I'm indebted to this guy who's pulled me out of the gutter. Now, what is that hole he's talking about? It was deep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Obviously, there was a double entendre there. But, right. But I, I think it's definitely drugs and and probably, yeah, uh, um, sex. Well, not is I wouldn't even call it sex work, like sexual exploitation. Like he was probably trapped in some situation. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. Yeah. Maybe he was in like a low end yeah. uh, sex work ring, you yeah, know, right. and then and then Quentin found him and said, Hey, I'll give you a better life doing the right. same thing. I don't know. It's it's really tricky. Certainly not his uncle. We know that now. Yes, for sure. And certainly, um, 
it was an interesting arc as well. I mean, kudos to the actor for for playing this part perfectly. Uh, uh, note perfect, as someone said on the on our Discord. But that he went from being this fun, like, hey, let's party and and have a great time, to being, oh, you're a little bit of a disgusting, sloppy drunk, and you're picking fights with people on the street. I, I this is not my vibe. I'm not having fun here. To wow, like this is really you're you you kind of had some trauma in your life that you're dealing with kind of sympathetic and, oh shit, what are you doing to your boss? And what are you going to do to me? <laughs> like, there's like this huge traverse that happened between them uh, here. Really amazing. Oof. Oof. This was a really rough scene to watch. The process of Portia's face changing and her actions changing as she realizes how trapped she is here. I was kind of shocked that she didn't run out of the room and grab a cab. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you get back? Where do you go? What do you do? Like, she is... She's really stuck in the situation. You know, you're on your phone all the time. Just, you can't even get lost on Google Maps. You said that, Portia. Mm -hmm. You said that. Go get unlost and go back to Tanya. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Go find your boss. All right. Final scene as Un Bel D, uh, the aria from uh, Madame Butterfly plays. We pan out from Tanya and Nicolo. Uh, in the final scene of the episode. Really beautiful cinematography here. Uh, you know, that was my note. <laughs> you're, you're, you're catching up to yeah, me. Well, then talk stuff. first. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, is, it absolutely looks like a Renaissance painting. The way that his muscles are uh, lit from above and the, the tones and the shadowing. Uh, just gorgeous. Gorgeous cinematography. And with the music overlaid, mm, per pitch perfect uh, scene. And it is being recorded, not as a painting, but I'm sure it's being recorded as a video. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, okay, John, um, what an episode. I'm, I'm like really in awe. It was a really incredible episode. I mean, what a treat the season has been, but this one was extra good. Yeah. All right, David, I think we have to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do our Deadpool conversations and listener feedback. And we're back. David, let's go check in with our Deadpool bets. Yeah. So, Greg, we have had no sign of him, but it feels like he's out there in the shadows. I was um, re-watching uh, episode one, the beginning of episode one again, and those feet that go floating by are very pasty, pale, and white. So, maybe that's an effect of a body being in the water for a while. I don't know, but um, I still think that he's in contention, even though he's not been on screen for a bunch of these episodes. Okay. I'm feeling pretty good about Greg, too. I think because uh, he's in my Deadpool, too. I think uh, it is possible that his plan backfires in some way. Yes. I, I, there's, there could be many things going on here. Mia, I feel like she's maybe not, like, I, I'm not feeling the same vibes. I, maybe she's not as in danger. Um but, you know, Mike White could be tapping us on the shoulder and we could be looking one way and then he could sock us across the jaw from the other direction, right? Like, I, I have no idea here. She has certainly come into her own so much in this season. 
going from sort of a shy, giggly girl to a woman who really owns her power and is living a dream that she wants to be a professional performer, you know, a piano player and singer, uh-huh. um, which I still puts her in grave danger, I think. I just don't know. I cannot predict why or how she's going to, to unless Giovanni, the, the other piano player, shows up and isn't happy about it. I wonder if he will, like, retaliate against her, figure mm-hmm. out some way to get back at her. I, I, regardless of what actually happens, and I know that that's the device that's keeping us all super engaged in this, um, and I think it's a brilliant device, too, to have sort of this goal that we got to get through all of this, you know, heavy and awkward and, and nuanced stuff. It's, uh, I think it works really well as a device uh, to have this murder mystery uh, as, as part of it. I still think that, you know, th- whatever happens, it could be a series of events, right? There could be an intentional, there could be an accidental, there could be a sort of a circumstantial thing, a natural causes thing. They're like, multiple options here and i am not ruling anything out yeah yeah i think that it'll be interesting to see what a kind of a variety we get because we had the accidental death last last season with the pineapple knife might i add mm-hmm. and we got fi- we got pineapple twice in this episode so yeah again he could just be playing with us because he just oh yeah. i think he just has fun with this too totally totally having fun with it um what did you and you had uh, porsche right i did have porsche Mm-hmm. I had Portia and Ethan over my other two. Uh, I feel pretty good about both of those right now, actually. I think that both of them are actually pretty good contenders for suicide. I never thought that I would say that as a sentence, but they are really going through some dark stuff right now. You think Portia is? You think Portia's? Yeah. Uh, I think she'd be yeah. more murder. I think she might get, like, you know, either intentionally or accidentally bumped off. Yeah, Portia is in a lot of danger with the gay mafia but also i think that she is watching her world crumble you know the one guy who mm, said interesting you know okay. be real about everything just be in the moment was actually just a fraud the whole time right okay yeah. and again tanya's pills she's got a lot of them all right well we'll see we'll see so um i did a little bit uh well i wouldn't call it sleuthing but it's something that occurred to me today as i was looking at the um episode one playback when they are um, taking the body bag up off the beach, and we actually see Daphne under one of the umbrellas, and we see sort of the Italian police patrol boat out on the water, there is a yacht that is on the left side of the screen out on the horizon. And it looks suspiciously like the yacht that Quentin took Tanya and Portia on. And I went back to episode five, called up an image of that. Got a screenshot of that, and to me, they are the same boat. Though the one in episode one is way far away, but there's a couple of distinguishing features on the yacht that make it uh, very like, yeah, these these two boats could be the same. So, very possible that the gay mafia is returning, and something happens on the boat, and bodies go over the water. I posted a picture of this uh, montage little thing that I put together in our Discord for the season six episode, and I might send it out by uh, Twitter tomorrow night, uh, or maybe on uh, Wednesday when the episode drops. Yeah, it's really, really that that's really uh, that's a really great poll you found. 
I think that it's very possible that they say, because I think they were going for two nights, right? And they've been there two nights. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that they say, hey, we got to go back to Tarmina right now. Right. And then they are on their way. And that's when they hit Tanya with, hey, we have a tape of you having sex. Mm, and we're going to do whatever they do with it. Right. And things go down. Right. And then Greg just pops up in his cowboy hat. Right. All right, David. We have an incoming transmission from Italy. Hit me with Marta's email. <laughs> Marta, our chief uh, lorehound correspondent uh, in Italy, wrote in. She said, I've just finished watching the episode. Um, this week, I particularly like Tanya's storyline. I think Coolidge has more room to show more of her acting skills, especially in the conversation with Portia over breakfast. Yeah, we totally agree with you on that one. Um, she goes on, I'm also in awe of Aubrey Plaza. So are we. I knew she was a great actress, but the nuances she's showing with Harper's character are something else. You reach the end of the episode and you still can't say if she cheated with Cameron or not, and both possibilities are plausible. Great acting all around. Um, Now, about the music. I'm not sure there's much to say this week. You be the judge. Hear the Italian songs we hear. Tippy Tippy Tea by Orietta Berti is about a woman who's reminiscing about the past when her loved one used to take her dancing. Tippy Tippy Tea is the sound of the orchestra playing. We hear this song when the DeGrassos are leaving the resort. So not really sure what to make of that. Maybe it just sounds good. Um, that's my comment. Um, then we've got another song by DeAndre when DeGrassos are driving back from the unsuccessful family reunion. And the song is His Name Was Jesus. And then during the party at Quinton's Villa, we hear Chow Chow by La Representante di Lista. Um, she says, this song makes you want to dance, but the lyrics are not what you would expect. It's about partying while the world outside is ending. Pretty apt to Tanya's situation, I think, uh, according to Marta. And then the last one is, towards the end, we can hear the aria from Puccini's Madame Butterfly. The title is Un Bel di Vendrimo. One good David. day... Would you rather pronounce Quenya words or Italian words? (laughs) Probably Italian, because it's a romance language. I can relate to it much better. (laughs) And uh, so this is about Madame Butterfly singing about how she envisions Pinkerton's return to her. So thanks, Marta. As always, your reports are hugely helpful to us. And uh, we are looking forward to hearing your takes when we get to the end season Uh, When we get to the season end here, John, any thoughts or comments about Marta's report? Excellent report, Marta. Thank you. And you are our Italian lorehound. I see you signed off as that. Um, She doesn't know uh, how to translate. I'm sorry that you can't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry you can't figure out how to translate it, but maybe uh, we'll we'll figure it out one day. Right. But yeah, no, this was so helpful. Um, The the last one, the Madama Butterfly one, Mm -hmm. is particularly interesting because it's talking about um, Pinkerton coming back. When's Greg going to come back and what's he going to say? Oh, that's, good a, that's point. the first line Marta writes is, uh, What will he say? What will he say? Right. So we'll see how that goes. We have some other listener feedback, though. Uh, Jill sends in an email. Looks like she won some internet points herself. She says, Hey, y'all. Uh, what's been bugging me during the last few episodes is this How do Quentin and his buddies know Tanya is uber wealthy? I think we can assume he is somehow a scammer, but why single out the delightful oddball Tanya? My theory is that Greg uh, set this up with Quentin. He says on his phone call that she doesn't suspect anything and I love you too. I think Greg and Quentin are lovers who are planning to scam the pants off of poor Tanya 
and then live happily ever after together with her money at that stunning palazzo. This is probably why Greg was so upset that Tanya brought her assistant Portia along for the trip. He didn't want to witness. Thoughts? Love the podcast. Jill. Jill, bing, bing, bing. Here's your internet points for calling that theory because you sent this um, well before this episode aired. So good job. You know, the joy of internet points is that it's a fake currency, so it's unlimited. What? It's fake? And Jill? John? (laughs) You can have as many internet points as you want from this because you have hit the jackpot. You did it. And congratulations. Right. I really like her point here about why Greg was so upset. He, that, that's a really good call. He was really bitter. He was like, damn it. And um, lucky for uh, their schemes that they had Jack around to keep her entertained. Yeah, no, that was the backup plan. I think yeah. that the first plan was just get Tanya alone on vacation. Mm. All right. So we had one message from Discord. Uh-huh. And David, you need to respond to this. So I'm going to read it. Okay. <laughs> Complete Boar says, hmm. I'm not sure if I'm on board with the interpretation of slag on the podcast. It's not a word that I would expect to hear in a work meeting, but it's not the one-size-awful insult suggested. Am I doing enough British here? Hello, Gavna. All right. Context and tone matter, and the jokey delivery of it essentially being what I think of as a catchphrase joke, like, as the actress said to the bishop, or that's what she said. As the actress said to the bishop, is this a real thing? Yes, this is a real thing. I don't believe you. (laughs) That some people just can't stop themselves saying softens the edges for me. If there was any venom on his tone, it might change the meaning, but it didn't really feel nasty to me. Disclaimer, I'm Irish, not English. Oh, I'm sorry. And then I did the LO governor. But been UK adjacent most of my life, and Mike White writing this note-perfect Essex wide boy is kind of fascinating. And I know Viama, uh, who's another excellent member of the bald move community uh also agreed with him and and biama is from the uk i'm not sure which part so david what do you have to say for yourself fair enough i don't think that jack was being that rude to her but he definitely was he was joking but he was also i think um negging her a little bit i guess if i'm using that term right uh we didn't have that when i was growing up um (laughs) but he was like oh, you know, you're, you know, yeah, you love it. You know, you do that kind of thing. So I think it, it, in one moment, it both portrayed, yeah, he was joking and he was playing around. Oh, you, you know, you're just a sly. Uh But at the same time, I think he has feeling, complex feelings about the job that he's doing here for Quentin. And, you know, he's both insulting her and joking with her at the same time. And at least in my experience, when I heard the term used, I've heard it used pretty badly um, and and derogatorily. So, you know, at least that part of London where I was, that's certainly a way they, they used it. At the same time, it could be used, you know, in multiple ways. So it really did, uh, context really did matter. But it, it, does have, it, it does have one sharp edge to it, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that the conversation this episode where he basically tells Tanya, like, you just complain all day. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he kind of revealed that he doesn't really like her that much. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so I guess it colors that a little bit. It colors that word a little bit more. He's got to dehumanize her a little bit to take advantage of her. Yeah. But no, I, I agree with the general idea. If we're just taking last episode in isolation, it did not sound like an insult to me. No. It sounded more of like a... Playful. Uh, oh, don't be a dick. You know, like right. if you're talking to exactly. your friend. You know, it's it's... You know, being but funny. you're still calling him a dick, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right? You know, like there's still a cut to it. 
All right, David, let's do some program reminders here. Yeah, well, first, let's give some shout outs. I just thought I'd mention really quick on our Patreon, you know, we've got three different tiers. We've got the $3 Lorehounds tier. We have the $5 Lore Fiend tier, and then there's the Lore Masters at $10 a month. And we have two Lore Masters. Can you believe it? This is crazy. I'm flattered, honestly. I'm I'm flattered that anybody wants to listen to me ramble about this stuff. But <laughs> the fact that people pay money to listen to us ramble a little early, that's, yeah. that's just even better. So we have two of our Lore Masters this week. We have Samartian, who you probably heard before if you've been listening to this podcast, a long time lore master but we also have mark h who just converted from a lower tier and uh thank you so much mark h and samarshan yeah that was wild when i saw the the message pop up that he converted i was like wow that's a real vote of confidence so mark h really thank you very much we very much appreciate that i am genuinely humbled that people support us so thank you very much for sure david what's going on in the greater bald move extended universe this (laughs) <laughs> yes, the, the 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 that's funny. I can't. I, I was going to come up with a joke, but I don't have one. The the bald move podcast universe, the BMPU. The BMPU. That's what we did on one of that's the lunches. Right. <laughs> so we've got bald move Christmas is happening right now. Jim and Aaron do this every year. It's a lot of fun. What they do is they tee up um, several Christmas themed movies and release um, special podcasts on those. Um, First up was Violent Night, which they released last week. This week, we've got Falling for Christmas. We've got a podcast review on uh, Falling for Christmas. And I heard it's going to be like, I think it's like almost a two-hour podcast or something, which is crazy for Jim and Aaron to talk that long about a a Christmas movie. And it's a 90-minute movie. I watched this movie uh, separately because my wife and I watch all the garbage Netflix Christmas movies. It Uh is a horrendous movie. Oh, really? It is just so bad. (laughs) And I can't wait to hear Jim and Aaron. To have a good time with it. Yeah, for sure. Then next week, it's going to be a Christmas story. And then the week after, we've got a secret present. They're going to review a classic Christmas movie, which we don't know yet uh, until they release it. And then besides that, we always have uh, two live streams that they do on um, the two Wednesdays of uh, December uh, before you know going into the Christmas break. And we have a special live stream where all the people on Twitch, you know, all, all you know, community comes uh, in and we're all chatting and having a good time. The guys do some online games that audience can participate in. There's some websites where you can register and it's, it's sort of like a, a fun party game thing. Um, and then one of the things that we do is we have an on-air live secret Santa gift exchange. So we use this website that pairs people up. And then people get sent their gifts, and then if they get their gifts on time, then they can be on air, and Jim and Aaron have a conversation with them, and, and uh, they open their gifts, their presents from their secret Santa, and that's always a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that activity or any other activities that we do on Bald Move for the month of December, check out christmas.baldmove.com, and then that's got all the information there for you. Also, over on um, Bald Move, on the Hot D feed, uh, Maester Anthony is continuing his Electric Bukaloo Clash of Kings read-along. And um, then him and Steve have another podcast called Cocoons of Horror. And in this uh, episode, which dropped just the other day, they try and make sense of the movie Barbarian, which I hear is somewhat of a confusing movie, but I'm sure they have a good time with it. John, what do we've got coming up uh, for the Lorehounds in December? 
you know, so much because you and I said, hey, it's the holidays, we should keep it light, and then we didn't. So <laughs> here's what we have. We have a lot of things. We yes. have this Saturday, uh, the Wheel of Time, we're doing an interview with D Professor Michael Livingston. Very cool. Who wrote a book called Origins of the Wheel of Time, which goes into the real world influences of the Wheel of Time. We, mm -hmm. we chatted for uh, a good hour with him about his process, about Robert Jordan's life, about a lot of great topics. So I hope you'll join us for that. Of course, we're still doing the White Lotus every Wednesday till this is over. We'll do a, a uh, season two wrap up at the end of the season as well, the week after the last episode. Then we've got a new podcast, MC Universe. David, you've got a new co-host for that one. Yes. Uh, so that's, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that. I'm about to start editing it, and I'm really looking forward to it. We also have Second Breakfast, which is our Patreon benefit. But this month, because of Christmas, we're going to release it on Christmas Day for everybody publicly. So you can get a taste of what we do for our patrons every month this month. And then normally that's going to be a Patreon benefit. Uh, we're going to close out the month with a couple one-off podcasts, Tales of the Jedi. We're going to do the whole season in one go and just talk about that. We can also discuss some and or feedback since we did our uh, recording for the season wrap up. So if you've got any more emails, definitely send them in to andor at thelorehounds.com and uh, we'll get those included in this uh, in that episode. Right. And then lastly, at the end of the year on New Year's Eve, we're going to release our new Silmarillion story with Valaquenta, which is the story of how the demigods started setting up the world of Middle-earth. So it's going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm really looking month. forward to that. Marilyn Pukila is going to be on that Valaquenta podcast. If you're a big fan, if you're a longtime listener, you'll recognize her. And uh, yeah, this is going to be very good. John, I finished Tales of the Jedi the other night. Um, I have Did to say, you? Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed the last two um, of those vignettes. So looking forward to talking about it. I have not watched it yet, so I will get back to you what? when I do. You only watch Star Wars now. I, well, because I've been busy with Rebels. It's so oh, good. Oh, that's so right. Good. And I'm going to talk about it on Second Breakfast. Then I think you'll have a lot to, to, to think about, um, to say about Tales of the Jedi, because I think it does a lot of interstitial weaving. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Yes, definitely. So thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next week. The White Lotus Podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds or by email at whitelotusatthelorehounds.com. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies, Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>